where we left off last time. Beginning in Proverbs 10, King Solomon lists 700 Proverbs gathered and arranged for the benefit of his son and of the people of his kingdom. In fact, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 9 through 12, say something interesting about Solomon and these Proverbs. We'll put it on the screen. Because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of a scholar are well-driven nails. I like those two pictures. Wise words are like goads and like well-driven nails. What's a goad? A goad, in essence, is a cattle prodder. It's a shaft with a pointed end that sticks and hurts and gets an animal's attention. In modern times, it's a rod that releases an electrical current and shocks the beast into submission. Hey, when a dumb animal deviates from a desired path, it needs a little jab. Likewise, when a believer strays, we need a poke from a proverb. And a proverb is also like A well-driven nail. It strikes its target and it drives into the wood with deep, strong, hard-driven hits. It secures the board. And likewise, spirit-led words hit their target accurately and forcefully. A proverb can attach a loose board. And he can also attach a loose believer to the wall that God intends to build. Tonight's chapters are full of goads and well-driven nails. Well, chapter 14 begins. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Now, the feminists might rebel, but the Bible is clear. God holds a wife and a mom responsible for the health of her home. In fact, Paul writes to Titus, And he instructs him to encourage the older women to teach the younger women. And I think we have it on the screen. We have Titus. Maybe. There we go. To be sober. To love your husbands. To love their children. To be discreet. In other words, to watch their words. To be chaste or modest. To be keepers at home. Literally, guardians of their home. Good, obedient to their own husbands, why? That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Christian wives and Christian moms should have a homeward orientation. Men should have a marketplace orientation. Women can help men make money, certainly, just as men can help women around the house. Did you hear that, guys? But it's all about focus. It's about emphasis. Solomon says that a wise woman builds her home. She gives most of her time and her attention to her kids. She makes her home a shelter, even an oasis, while a foolish woman ignores her home and pursues self-centered activities. Anthropologist Ashley Montague, he writes about the role of women. He says this, Women have great gifts, the qualities of love, compassion, 
and beauty of spirit. No man can ever play as important a role in the life of humanity as a woman. In short, a good homemaker is the most important of all occupations in the world. It cannot be too often pointed out that the making of human beings is a far more important vocation than the making of anything else. And in the formative years of a child's life, the mother is best equipped to provide those firm foundations. I like the Phillips translation of Titus chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. There we're told the older women should teach younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be sensible and chaste, notice this, home lovers, kind-hearted and willing to adapt themselves to their husbands. And, And when you find a woman like this, it's a good advertisement for the Christian faith. Hey, a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman will pull it down with her own hands. Verse 2, he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord. But he who in perverse is perverse in his ways despises him. In other words, our walk either confirms or denies our talk. Here's a great definition for a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a man who com- com- a hypocrite is a man who complains that there's too much sex and violence on his DVD player. That's a hypocrite. You know, his walk is betraying his talk. Hey, don't you say you love God, then turn around and walk in a perverse or a twisted way. A person who sins is saying that they despise God. Whereas to love God is to please Him in what we do. Verse 3, in the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. And pay attention to verse 4. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean. But much increase comes by the strength of an ox. Now, this is one of my very favorite verses because it's the verse I use to justify a cluttered desk. A messy trough or a messy desk. By the way, this is Albert Einstein's desk. Not very clean, was it? A messy desk or a trough is a sign that there is an ox in the stable. And that the fields are getting plowed. If you want a clean trough, get rid of the ox. But if you do, you won't have plowed fields. You won't get much done. You see, here's the life lesson. If you want a smooth, uncomplicated life, then never get married. And certainly never have kids. And by all means, don't try to accomplish anything important. Just stay squeaky clean, spick and span. But you'll have an empty life, won't you? You see, the only person who never errs is the person who never tries. Imagine you baking a cake without making a mess in your kitchen. That's impossible, isn't it? If you want a delicious cake, you've got to endure a bit of a mess. And the same is true in church, I hope you know. A ministry that's always tidy, always neat, it's not accomplishing much, trust me. Hey, do something big for God and the stable will get messy. Working with people gets messy. Manure is a part of ministry. Well, notice verse 5. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Why is that? Remember the insightful old saying, man's wisdom must be understood to be loved, whereas God's wisdom has to be loved 
to be understood. And that's why it's hidden from the scoffer and the mocker. Verse 7, go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. He's only going to cause you trouble. Stay away from the fool. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. You see, a fool is a victim of his own self-deception. This is why his lies are so convincing, because he believes them himself. He's blind to the truth. He's not seeing clearly. This is why you need to stay away from him. He says, fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. You know, a fool will laugh publicly, but privately he's gripped with bitterness and with guilt. Now the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Notice the contrast. The house gets overthrown, but a tent, a trans, you know, if it's inhabited by righteous people, it gets built up. It, it, it survives. In fact, it flourishes. And then notice verse 12. Here, here is one of the most important verses in the Proverbs. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now verse 12 reminds me of Roy Regals, the man who made the 1929 Rose Bowl the most famous game in that bowl's storied history. You see, Roy played for the University of California. And in the first half of the game against Georgia Tech, Roy picked up a fumble, and he raced for the goal line. In fact, Regals ran 65 yards until he was finally tackled by one of his own teammates. You see, Roy Regals ran down the field in the wrong direction. In the confusion of the fumble, he started the wrong way. And for 65 yards, Roy thought he was going to score a touchdown, that he'd be a hero. Instead, those 65 yards were the worst mistake in Roy Regal's football career. Tech ended up beating California to win that year's Rose Bowl. Don't you be a wrong way, Roy. It's possible We can get confused. We can get twisted. We can think that the path we're on is leading to victory. Oh, it feels good. Oh, it seems right. Man, our friends agree that we're going the right direction. But you know, you could be headed for death. The only way to tell? Consult God's Word. It's in God's Word that you'll know and find the truth. Verse 13 tells us, Even in laughter the heart may sorrow. And the end of mirth may be grief. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow. You know, sometimes we laugh because if we didn't, we'd cry. Sometimes a jovial disposition is really just a front for a heart that hurts. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. Notice this, the first step away from God is pride. The backslider is a person who gets full of himself. But a good man will be satisfied from above. God fills his heart. Now the simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. In other words, don't believe everything you hear. Hey, you don't believe everything you read on the internet, do you? Well, it's on the internet. It's got to be true. Oh, I hope you don't believe that. Check it out before you pass it on. Verse 16 A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self confident. Cross or confront a proud man and he erupts. 
We're told a quick-tempered man acts foolishly and a man of wicked intentions is hated. Boy, this quick-tempered man, he's got a short fuse. You know, it said, the emptier the pot, the quicker it boils. The emptier the pot, the quicker it boils. The answer then for a short boil is what? To fill your heart with God's love, with the living water. That's how you solve the problem of a short boil. Well, verse 18 tells us, The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. I guess the question is, am I my brother's keeper? You bet you are. We all are responsible for each other. Do they not go astray who devise evil, but mercy and truth belong to those who devise good? And verse 23, in all labor there is profit. I got an email entitled, The Ten Rules for Teens. Here's rule number five. Flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Hey, whether it's flipping burgers or sweeping floors or raking bunkers or digging ditches or washing cars or mowing grass, hey, in all labor there is profit. Guys, a job is a job. A humble man won't be out of work as long as a proud man, trust me. Notice the verse concludes, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Idle chatter leads only to poverty. Spend your employer's time on break or at lunch or just talking on the phone and you won't have a job for long. Nobody gets paid for idle chatter. Verse 24, the crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. You know, riches is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to have money. Money's not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. There's a lot that can be accomplished with riches. Proverbs talk a lot about it. We're told a true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. In a multitude of people is a king's honor, but in the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. I've always heard the best way to know if you're a leader is to turn around and look and see if there's anyone following you know, here we're told that in the multitude of people is a king's honor. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. They grow a long fuse. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't be impulsive. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Jealousy is a cancer that just sort of eats away at us from the inside out. We're told he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker. Remember, humans bear God's image. This is why we show respect and love for God by how we treat each other. If we oppress the poor, you're denying, you're rebuking, in fact, the image of God in that person. 
We should love people. We're told, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. Jesus says, as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Well, the wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death. For a righteous man, death is the final victory. Verse 33, wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding. But what is in the heart of fools is made known. Now verse 34 applies to every nation, including the United States of America. We're told righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You know, here's an explanation for America's past prosperity. God has exalted us because we've stood for things that are right and just and biblical and godly. But this can also be an explanation for our future impoverishment. If we neglect what's righteous, if we turn away from things that are good and godly, sin is a reproach to any people. Well, the king's favor is toward a wise servant. The king's favor is toward a wise servant. If you're wise, if you work hard, if you show up on time, if you do a good job, you see, a wise servant is never out of a job for long because he has the king's favor. But his wrath is against him who causes shame. Chapter 15 begins. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Once we had an old cat that would go next door and sleep on the hood of our neighbor's new pickup truck. And and, and one morning when he saw Paul Prince on the hood of his truck... He he came over to the edge of the property and started yelling at Kathy and the kids. Well, they told me about it, and so that night he and I had to have a little talk. And I knew as mad as he was, if I had an angry tone, if I went over there with stern words, it was going to end up in a fisticuffs. And so so I went over there. I was just as polite and nice as I could possibly be. And, you know, I was totally amazed at the guy's reaction. I mean, he ended our conversation by telling me, man, that's okay. I I think I need to buy a tarp for my new pickup truck anyway. It was amazing how a soft answer turned away wrath. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 26, when that scoundrel, that old obnoxious coot named Nabal, you remember the story, how Nabal infuriated David with his rudeness. But that was when Nabal's wife, Abigail, she went to David with kindness. And she diffused David's anger with soft words. Her gentle answer saved her husband from a beatdown by approaching David with with soft words. It's powerful how how we can diffuse people's anger with soft words. It's been said, diplomacy is the art of telling your friend he has an open mind instead of a hole in the head. How you say what you say can make a huge difference. A soft word turns away wrath. Verse 2, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The other day we went to the Braves game and you know, they've gotten to the point now where in between innings, all they do is they just, 
show people in the stands, you know, embarrassing shots. That happened to me one time. I was actually kind of standing there picking my nose like this, you know, and, and all of a sudden I looked up and I was on the matrix board in front of 50,000 people. And, you know, I've created kind of a paranoia now. I'm at the Braves game. I'm in between innings, and the only thing I can think about is don't put me up there, you know. Are they watching? Where's the camera? The whole time I was at the game, that was what I was thinking. Hey, here we're told the eyes of the Lord are in every place. You know, you are being watched. Not not by the camera, but you are being watched. You're, You're being shown on the matrix board in heaven at all times. The eyes of the Lord are keeping watch on the evil and the good. God is omnipresent. He is in all places at all times. I'll never forget the couple who came to me for marriage counseling, and the first thing the guy said is, is you can't let God know what we're talking about. He said that. Yeah, he did. Hey, I'm telling you, nothing happens in your life that God doesn't see and that God doesn't hear. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Harsh, hateful words can do extreme damage to the human spirit. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never harm you. That's not true. Words can can break the spirit, Proverbs tells us. He says, a fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. It's been said, a wise man desires no more than he can get justly, use soberly, distribute cheerfully, and leave contently. Whereas, give a wicked man a little money and it destroys him. Have you ever read those articles of of how people's lives were destroyed once they won the lottery? It does terrible things to someone. That's why he says here, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. Verse 7, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. You know, wicked people will try to buy God's favor with their sacrifices. They'll do religious deeds to cover up their sin and try to win God over. God is never fooled by a fool. Remember, a religious deed is never a substitute for a repentant heart. We're told the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. Do you do what's right? Do you love what's right? If you do, God will love you. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. Tough on crime is a godly policy. Verse 11, hell and destruction are before the Lord, so how much more the heart's of the sons of men. In other words, if God can peer into the pit of hell, don't think for a moment he can't see into your innermost thoughts. A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. Hey, a fool runs from rebuke. You know, if you've got something to talk to him about, if you want to try to help him and, and he avoids you, I mean, that's showing his foolishness. A fool doesn't want to be corrected. A wise man will seek correction. Verse 13, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. 
The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. I like that. You know, your life can be a party or it can be a funeral. It's really all about your attitude. Verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. He's saying, I'd rather eat beans and salad in a home full of happiness than T-bone steaks in a home full of friction and fighting. A 1,200-square-foot house with peace is far better than a 4,000-square-foot prison. That's what he's saying. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allies contention. This word allies means to take the edge off. You know, the person who's slow to wrath, he takes the edge off an argument. He kind of brings about a moderation. He settles things down. Slow to anger. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. The man who habitually does what's right gets somewhere. His life is like a highway. Verse 20, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment. But a man of understanding walks uprightly. Now without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Good counsel is extremely valuable. It's a safeguard. Now don't let somebody else try to tell you God's will for your life. It's not what he's saying. Only, when it gets right down to it, only you can know what God is saying to you. But good counsel can be a check. It can raise a red flag. It can help you make sure that you're on the right track. It can remind you of scripture that you may have forgotten. And it's been said, a wise man seeks much counsel. A fool listens to it all. <laughs> Verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. How good it is. Boy, the right word at the right time is powerful, isn't it? You've been down, been depressed. Somebody came along and gave you an encouraging word. How powerful that is. The way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from hell below. God's wisdom creates this upward, heaven-bound trajectory for our lives. God's word just sets us in an upward course. Pride, though, is a sure ticket to destruction. He says, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. Now, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. The man who conducts business under the table ends up having trouble around his table. Apparently his kids witness his hypocrisy and they rebel against him. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. In short, think before you talk. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the good, and a good report makes the bones healthy. We all need some good news from time to time, don't we? 
The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Remember that. Before honor is humility. Chapter 16. We're just getting wisdom poured right all all over us tonight. Just one verse after another. Getting a bath of wisdom tonight. Chapter 16, verse 1. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The preparation of the heart belongs to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. In Mark 13, verse 11, Jesus told his disciples, Do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying the Holy Spirit will give you the words. And here Solomon is making us the same promise. We need to prepare. You know, the pastor needs to prepare a sermon. Don't just get up and say, well, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit speak this morning. No, it was because you watched a ball game the day before. Man, get to work. Prepare something. You know, you got a test coming up. Well, God will give me the answers. No, you better study beforehand. Spend some time studying for that test. We need to prepare. But when pressed to speak under unexpected or on difficult circumstances, we're told the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We can count on the Holy Spirit to give us the right words at just the right time, to tell us what to say when it was impossible for us to prepare for that moment. The Holy Spirit will come, and He'll give us the answer that we need. Verse 2, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. In other words, my estimation of myself, your estimation of yourself is worthless. It doesn't matter one iota what I think of myself. All that matters is God's estimation of me. God weighs the Spirit. How God sees me is how I need to see myself. And real repentance begins when I'm willing to see myself through God's eyes. That's the start of real repentance. That's the start of the redemption and the restoration that God wants to work in our lives. When I can see myself as God sees me, not as I want to see me. Verse 3, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Notice this, commit your works. Do the right thing and then the feelings will follow. Don't wait until you feel like obeying God to obey Him. If you wait until you feel like praying to pray, you'll never pray. If you wait until you feel like tithing to tithe, you'll never tithe. If you feel like you need to wait until you feel like witnessing to witness, you'll never witness. You'll wait forever. This is why he says, commit your works to God. And then the feelings will follow. We're told the Lord has made all for himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. You know, the believer praises God by embracing his salvation. But the wicked also praise God. They praise his judgment. They provide God an opportunity to demonstrate his justice. And that in turn praises God. 
praises him for his justice and his righteousness. Read Romans 9 through 11 for a fuller commentary here on verse 4. Even the day of doom brings glory to God. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Only fools gang up against God. Have you noticed, though, there's some groups where the only thing that will get them together is their common hatred for God or for His church. Verse 6, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's interesting. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. Verse 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. As the old saying goes, man proposes but God disposes. You know, man makes his plans, but the providence of God ultimately prevails. This is why we need to be firm in our faith, but flexible with our plans. Verse 10, divination is on the lips of the king. His mouth must not transgress in judgment. The king is supposed to speak for God, but oftentimes only superstition and curses are on his lips, and God will judge him. We're told honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are His work. In ancient Israel, buying and selling were done on a set of scales. And thus an honest businessman calibrated his scales accurately. A crooked businessman used, you know, unbalanced scales. Verse 12, it is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness for a throne is established by righteousness. At least the king should be honest. He says, righteous lips are the delight of kings and they love him who speaks what is right. As messengers of death is the king's wrath, but a wise man will appease it. You know, you know a candidate will get a lot of votes just by being honest. People want the king. People want the the senator, people want the representative, the president to be honest. The government's job is to use force if necessary to maintain order, and only a fool will deliberately defy this authority. We're told, verse 15, in the light of the king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud of the latter rain. How much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Underline verse 18. The man who boasts ends up toast. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He who heeds the word wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. What a great verse. Verse 21, the wise in heart will be called prudent. And sweetness of the lips increases learning. Now here is the value of a good teacher. He takes the truth, but he mixes it in with sweetness. Kind of spices it up. He makes it sweet so it goes down easier. You see, it's a pastor's job not just to hand out bland information, but to teach the truth in an appealing way. It's the sweetness of the lips that increases learning. 
Often how it's said is important as what gets said. You know, I've heard it put this way. A mediocre teacher tells. A good teacher explains. A superior teacher demonstrates. A great teacher inspires. This is why when I teach, I throw in some quotes, some illustrations, some hilarious jokes. I throw all this in, you know, to to create a sweetness. It's the sweetness there that makes the truth go down easier. Sweetness of the lips increases learning. I like that. Verse 22. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it. But the correction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Wow, well-chosen words carry great impact. They can impart health and wisdom. Verse 25 is actually chapter 14, verse 12, verbatim. It's repeated here to stress its importance. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Again, what makes sense to me, what appears logical or rational from my perspective may not be truth. Here's what's happened. Sin has warped the lens through which we see life. As Paul put it, now we see in a mirror dimly. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says it this way, God speaks, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways? And this is why folks will reject biblical truths, doctrines like the Trinity or the deity of Jesus or miracles. Not because they aren't taught in the Bible, but because they don't make sense to them logically or rationally. This is why the source of our doctrine needs to be God's revelation, not our reason. You know, there's things that we may not understand, that we may not grasp, but they're still true. God has spoken them. God has a logic greater than our own. He has a reason that supersedes us. Again, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, verse 26 tells us, The person who labors, labors for himself, for his hungry mouth drives him on. It's amazing what you'll do if you get hungry enough. That's what it's saying. Notice verses 27 and 28. An ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisper separates the best of friends. Some people love to dig up gossip on other people. They get a little bit of gossip. They get a little tidbit on somebody else and it's like a burning fire on their lips. They just can't wait to get it off, to tell it to somebody. Some people are like that. Once there was a mischievous husband who looked out the window at his next door neighbor and he remarked to his wife, he said, oh my, look at Beverly over there. She's in her car kissing some man. Well, immediately the wife raced to the window. She looked through the blind. She peeked out the window. She sort of turned back to her husband and she shouted, that's not funny, it's just her husband. You know, some people are only looking for something to talk about. Charles Swindoll says that when a person calls him and comments, did you hear about so-and-so? He immediately asks, can I quote you on this? 
And if the answer is no, he refuses to listen. That's a good tactic. Verse 29 tells us a violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. He winks his eye to devise perverse things. He pursues his lips and brings about evil. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. Boy, gray hair is a crown of glory. I've noticed Pastor James is developing his crown. I noticed the other day, James, you're getting some grays. Oh, yeah. You've been doing any work down in the basement? You've been sanding any sheetrock or anything? Yeah. Hey, a sign of old age is honorable, provided that the head belongs to somebody who's walked with God. Verse 32 is a great verse. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You know, it's often more difficult to manage our own heart than it is to rule over a city. Sometimes our our own heart is the most rebellious and wayward thing. Verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. In other words, there's no such thing as luck or chance or fate. He's saying every roll of the dice, every bounce of the football is ultimately governed by God. There's a Greek proverb that puts it this way, the dice of the gods are loaded. As Christians, we believe in providence, in God's overarching intervention in the affairs of man. That God is behind the scenes, arranging circumstances to carry out His will with or without our cooperation. John Darby pins... God's ways are behind the scenes, but He moves the scenes that He is behind. The lot is cast in the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Chapter 17 begins, Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Again, I'll trade you lobster and fighting for oatmeal and peace any day. As Solomon said back in chapter 15, better is a dinner of herbs. A wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. Now here's the opposite of nepotism. Some employers will honor a wise servant over a shameful son. A fair man will value wisdom and faithfulness as much as he values blood and birth. He says the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. You know that gold and silver are both refined or purified through a process. Metals are melted with tremendous heat. And this causes the impurities within the metals to rise to the surface. There they're skimmed off the top. And likewise, God uses a similar process to purify us. He heats up our lives. He puts us under difficult, hot, heated circumstances. And what happens? The impurities rise, don't they? Under pressure, in the heat of battle, things come out in our lives, in our hearts that aren't good. And he skims them off the top and we start over again. Then he puts us back into another hot situation. And again, the impurities will rise up. And over and over, that's how he purifies us. That's how he he makes us us whole. I like 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. We're told, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while 
you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God allows us to go through the cauldron of crisis. He turns up the heat on us to expose our impurities and then skim off the scum. Verse 4 tells us, An evildoer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Verse 6, children's children are the crown of old men. And man, am I looking forward to those grandkids. I hear they're great fun. You know, the whole idea of play, play, fun, fun. Then here, mom and dad, you take them. That just appeals to me. That's exciting to me. You know, one of the reasons Kathy and I had four kids is to get lots of grandkids. We can wait, but that's our desire. Children's children are the crown of old men. Gray hair and grandkids are the crown of an old man. Now notice the end of the verse. And the glory of children is their father. Notice this. An old man's joy is his grandkids, but the child's joy is his dad. You see, mom is always on duty. She nurtures and she disciplines and she feeds and she clothes. And then at the end of the day, dad walks into the room and the kids flock to him like a covey of quail. They just come running to him, diving all over him, playing with him, loving on him. I mean, these kids take mom for granted, but they respond to dad like he's got a big S on his chest. And the glory of the children is their father. What a child won't do to win his father's approval. We live with that all our lives, don't we? Wanting our father's approval. Excellent speech is not becoming to a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. Usually wisdom doesn't come from a fool, nor a lie from a prince. Verse 8, a present is a precious stone in the eyes of its possessor. Wherever he turns, he prospers. And apparently he uses this gift wisely. He who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. When a word of gossip reaches you, The friendly and the loving thing to do is to let it in with you. He says, rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Isn't that interesting? A wise man learns from a rebuke. He learns what a beating can't teach a fool. He says, an evil man seeks only rebellion. Therefore, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Verse 12, let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. A fool is more dangerous than an angry bear. A fool in his folly is an unbearable person to deal with, isn't he? Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Now look at verse 14. It applies to marriages and friendships 
and to church. In fact, it applies to all facets of life. We're told the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. In other words, once the grumbling begins, it's extremely difficult to shut off. That's why it's best to deal with it at the outset. Allow yourself or your child or your church friend to become critical and negative And you end up with just a cascading waterfall of discontent and anger. This is why you need to stop the murmuring from the beginning. The beginning of strife is like a releasing of water. You need to stop the quarrel before it starts. Verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Why is there In the hand of a fool, the purchase price of wisdom, since he has no heart for it. In other words, wisdom is is accessible to the fool, but he doesn't value it enough to pay the price for it, to attain it. He says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You see, a true friend, like a brother, sticks with you through thick and thin. He's always faithful. In the up times, in the down times, as Solomon says, At all times. Verse 18, along with a host of other proverbs, forbids co-signing on a loan. He says, a man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. In other words, a fool collateralizes someone else's loan. He, He who loves transgression loves strife. And he who exalts his gate seeks destruction. To exalt one's gate means to brag about yourself. Verse 20, he who has a deceitful heart finds no good, but he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. He who begets a scoffer does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Verse 22, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. You know, there are medical studies that are showing that laughter The act of laughter relaxes muscles and stimulates organs in the body and releases chemicals that aid in our healing. In other words, a chuckle a day keeps the doctor away. Doctors say, even if you force yourself to laugh, that has good medical and and physical and mental benefits to it. If you just force yourself to laugh, it has good side effects. Which is one more reason why you should laugh at Pastor Sandy's jokes, even if they're not funny. Feel how good you feel after you just laugh there? You feel how good you feel? Laughter is like good medicine, we're told. Hey, jokes don't have to be funny to be good for you, okay? I think. Verse 23. A wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. Oh my, kickbacks, payoffs, pervert justice. I like the old saying, a good lawyer knows the law. A clever lawyer knows the judge. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. In other words, wisdom can focus, but the fool... The eyes of the fool are just everywhere. He's distracted. He's just all over the place. He can't focus on anything. 
A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Also to punish the righteous is not good, nor to strike princes for their unrightness. Verse 27 is a great proverb. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. You know, it's been said there's nothing wrong with having nothing to say unless you insist on saying it. I mean, there's really nothing wrong with just being a person of few words, not saying anything, having a calm spirit. Sometimes that can be very appealing. Verse 28, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. When the fool keeps his mouth shut, everybody says, wow, how perceptive. You know, you've heard the old saying, keep your mouth shut and folks will wonder if you're a fool. Open it and you'll remove all doubt. That's what the proverb is telling us. In other words, when your mind goes blank, make sure you turn off the sound, okay? There we go. Next week we'll start in chapter 18. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you so much for these wonderful proverbs and the wisdom that they give us. Help us, Lord, to be wise enough to heed, take heed, to apply these truths to our lives. Bless us this coming week, Lord. May we be people of influence in the lives of others. Lord, may we be people of influence by being influenced by the people you've put in our lives. Lord, help us to seek out those Moseses in our lives that we can learn from and grow from. Help us be teachable, Lord so that we can be used by you. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.